Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the iCritical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Joining us today is Matthew Payden, MD, Assistant Professor in the Department of Pediatrics at Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Payden is with us today to discuss his latest article published in the March 2011 Pediatric Critical Care Medicine titled, Recovery of Renal Function and Survival After Continuous Renal Replacement Therapy During Extracorporeal Membrane Oxygenation, Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, 2011, Volume 12, pages 153 to 158. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Payden. Thank you, Dr. Parker. Uh, Matt, would you please start by giving us an overview of your study, uh, what you did and why you did it? Sure. We decided to look at our ECMO patients and uh, try and figure out what the incidence of renal failure was in these patients after they had received both ECMO and CRRT. Uh, Our center has kind of taken an an aggressive approach of of treating uh, ECMO patients with CRRT and a common criticism of of our practice has been that uh, while we may be getting good outcomes, there was a concern that we may be creating chronic renal failure patients after these uh, patients completed their ECMO therapy. And so the concern was that we may be, uh, while we may be increasing survival, we also may be creating a population of patients with chronic renal failure and therefore increasing uh, long-term morbidity. So we sought to uh, evaluate our experience to examine the role that CRRT, uh, its use on ECMO, played in long-term renal outcomes. So what we did was went and looked at a retrospective sample of 10 years of ECMO patients from 1997 until 2007. And I should mention that this encompassed only our neonatal and pediatric ECMO patients uh, at this center. We excluded all uh, all of the adults from this analysis. We collected both demographic data and therapy-specific data, including things like their indication for RRT, the type of ECMO they received, et cetera, and outcome data on all of these patients. We, to better classify the degree of uh, acute kidney injury in these patients, we also chose to stratify the patients using the uh, uh, pediatric rifle classification at at the initiation of ECMO. And uh, if you're not familiar with the P-rifle categorization, it defines uh, a decrease in estimated creatinine clearance of 25% as someone who's at risk of acute kidney injury, 50% of a decrease in creatinine clearance is injury, and 75% or greater is uh, failure. In this uh, model, loss is defined as someone meeting failure criteria for more than four weeks, and an end stage is a patient that has had persistent failure for greater than three months. Because we were looking at total renal outcomes for these patients, we needed to define renal recovery, and so we chose to do that as the defining renal recovery as the lack of need for renal replacement therapies and an estimated creatinine clearance of greater than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared at the time of hospital discharge. So 
when we looked uh, over this 10-year time period, we had uh, 387 neonatal and pediatric patients that got ECMO, uh, of which we had uh, 250 survive, which is a 66% survival rate. 154 of those patients received both concomitant uh, ECMO and CRRT. And of those 154, 68 of the patients, uh, or about 44%, survived to discharge. Uh, over this 10-year period, we did see some changes, and we saw that uh, CRRT use increased over the last decade, uh, going from only about 17% use in the first two years of uh, the time period to uh, almost 60% in the last two years of the time period. Um, we also saw that this increase was uh, most predominant in the pediatric age group with 71% uh, of, of those patients uh, getting who got ECMO also got concomitant CRRT. The big findings of this study were uh, twofold. One, we found that there was a survival difference between patients who received CRRT and ECMO as opposed to those patients who got ECMO alone. Uh, there was 44% of patients who got CRRT and ECMO survived, uh, compared to 81% of the patients who got ECMO alone survived. Uh, it should be noted this effect was most marked in the neonatal population where CRRT and ECMO is used less routinely in our center. Um, the, in the pediatric population, our survival rates for patients who got CRRT and ECMO was 55%. Um, compared to 81% of the patients who got uh, no CRRT in ECMO. This 55% uh, survival, while is certainly, uh, is certainly less, is also uh, similar to the mean survival for all ELSO centers uh, during the same time period. And so compared to other centers, we did not see a, a survival decrease uh, using this approach. Um, it's, it's also interesting that it is similar to the 51% survival that we see in patients who are not on ECMO uh, and have multi-organ uh, dysfunction syndrome and need to be treated with CRRT. Uh, the P prospective pediatric uh, CRRT registry found 51% survival in a group of 116 uh, patients that were uh, with MODs uh, treated with CRRT. We were able to stratify most of uh, our survivors uh, by the P-Rifle criteria with uh, about 38% of them uh, meeting criteria for risk, about a third of them meeting criteria for injury, and 22% meeting criteria for failure. It, you know, this demonstrates that there was a significant level of acute kidney injury in these patients. 18 of the patients required renal replacement therapy post-ECMO continuation. But when we looked at the primary outcome of uh, this study, which was uh, recovery of renal function and renal outcome at the time of discharge, we found that, that of the 68 patients, six, 65 of the 68 patients, or 96%, uh, had recovery of renal function at the time of hospital discharge. Of the 31 patients whose uh, primary indication for CRRT was fluid overload, uh, 30 of the 31 uh, achieved renal recovery at, uh, at the time of discharge. The one patient who did not was a neonate who had a creatinine of 1.1 uh, milligram per deciliter, and that was a stable creatinine off of ECMO and CRRT for a week. 
He subsequently, while still in the hospital, acquired uh, enterococcal sepsis and was uh, treated for that using vancomycin. Uh, with this uh, therapy and his sepsis, his creatinine increased to 3.8, uh, however, required no renal replacement therapy during this episode. He was improving and his creatinine was dropping, and he was uh, transferred back to his uh, referring hospital, and unfortunately, he was lost to follow up. When we turn and look at the 23 patients whose indication was, uh, for RRT was acute kidney injury, we found complete recovery in 20 of those 23 patients. Um, the patients who did not recover uh, were a 15-year-old male who had uh, pulmonary hemorrhage and an uh, initial creatinine of 13.7 uh, on, on presentation. Uh, after a complicated ECMO run, including CRRT, he uh, was found to have persistent renal failure and was placed on peritoneal dialysis. He was subsequently diagnosed with uh, intrinsic renal disease by biopsy, and once his primary disease was under good control, ultimately received a, a renal transplant and is doing well. The second patient is actually uh, very similar, another 15-year-old male who came in with uh, severe pulmonary hemorrhage and uh, an initial creatinine of 6.3 uh, milligrams per deciliter. He was also diagnosed with intrinsic renal disease by biopsy, this time an ANCA-positive uh, crescenteric glomerulonephritis. Um, after his ECMO course, he was transitioned to peritoneal dialysis for chronic renal failure management, uh, but was actually able to wean off of his peritoneal dialysis while in the hospital. Uh, his kidney function did improve somewhat, and he did not require uh, renal replacement therapy at the time of discharge. He does, however, have diminished uh, renal function uh, with a serum creatinine of 4.1, but, but is able to be managed conservatively. The final patient was uh, a neonate who had group uh, B strep sepsis who was placed on ECMO and was subsequently uh, transferred back to their referring facility after the ECMO run with a serum creatinine of 1.3. And so, uh, by our definitions, uh, did not meet renal recovery. However, one month later, she returned to our hospital for uh, rehabilitation, and at that time had a serum creatinine of uh, 0 0.3, uh, indicating renal recovery. I think the, the primary things that, that we've learned from, from our paper is that in the absence of uh, primary renal disease at, at presentation, we did not see chronic renal failure occurring uh, in patients who were treated concomitantly with ECMO and CRRT. Um, and I think that, um, you know, this finding should in encourage less reticence in, in the use of CRRT while on ECMO. Um, we certainly saw that there is a mortality difference between those who were treated with CRRT and ECMO compared to those who got ECMO alone. However, the, the outcomes are, uh, even for the CRRT and ECMO group, are equivalent to the ELSO averages for this time period. Um, and the survival rate is actually also equivalent to patients who have acute kidney injury alone and receive CRRT but are not on ECMO. Can you talk a little bit about what you use as indications for CRRT? And perhaps uh, since you have such a high um, rate of CRRT in your ECMO patients, can you 
compare the indications you use with places that don't use CRRT as frequently? Right. So I, I, I think the, the the indications when you look back at the at the literature that has been has been published previously about this. First of all, I'll say there's there's really not very much of it, but the indications kind of fall into the groups of acute kidney injury, fluid overload, and uh, sepsis and septic shock. Uh, some folks are trying to use CRRT in, in sepsis as a method of uh, cytokine and other uh, inflammatory mediator clearances. And so you'll, you'll see it in that group. We tend to, the, the area where we tend to be more aggressive is in uh, the management of fluid overload. And so, you know, we know um, stepping away from ECMO patients for, for a minute, we know that in uh, pediatric critically ill patients, we've got multiple retrospective single center studies that have demonstrated the association of fluid overload with mortality in critically ill pediatric patients. Jason Follin's work that was published in Critical Care Medicine in 2004 demonstrated improved uh, or increased survival rates uh, in patients with less fluid overload and specifically uh, Im improvement in survival in patients that uh, had greater than three organ dysfunction. Um, and there are multiple other uh, retrospective work that have been done by other single centers. Uh, there was substantial work that was done by the members of the Pediatric Prospective CRRT Registry uh, and has managed to confirm this uh, association between uh, fluid overload and increased mortality. And they were able to do it in, in a multi-center and prospective manner, which I think is, uh, is very important, a very important finding. So, you know, we know that fluid overload in our basic non-ECMO critically ill child is a bad thing and is a target where we can hopefully aim some, some goal-directed therapies at to, uh, to fix. You know, ret returning to our ECMO patients, we know that fluid overload does impact survival and impacts uh, mortality of our ECMO patients, and it's also very common in ECMO patients. Dr. Swanaker and his colleagues found that in his pediatric ECMO patients, about 41% of them were fluid overloaded at the time of ECMO institution, and that the degree of fluid overload was similarly associated with survival. Multiple studies in the ECMO literature over the years have you know, noted the comment that reduction in fluid overload is associated with ECMO patient improvement. And uh, degree of organ edema has uh, been associated by uh, Kelly et al. with the duration of, uh, of ECMO in, in neonatal patients. Guidelines themselves, uh, you know, recommend that the goal of fluid management in, in ECMO patients is to return the extracellular volume to, uh, to normal to get these patients back to dry weight and to, to maintain it there. And so... That's the area, that's the indication that I think for most folks is it, it's not as hard and a fast indication as uh, garden variety acute kidney injury, but that's the area where we're trying to push the envelope and try and use uh, CRRT as a way to manage, to hopefully correct fluid overload once it's present, but also to uh, prevent fluid overload from getting worse while you are on it. 
So you use CRRT on kids who are only are fluid o- overloaded but have a normal creatinine. Exactly. Uh, Why not just use diuretics? And and, and you certainly can uh, can use diuretics. You know, I, I should definitely point out that there is no consensus on how to treat fluid overload and, and acute kidney injury during ECMO. You know, center-specific trends really do range from folks who do fluid restriction alone to a combination of fluid restriction and diuretics, all the way to where where our center is, you know, early institution of CRRT concomitant with the starting of ECMO, even in patients without acute kidney injury. You know, diuretics have um, some potential downsides, and there's an unclear association of, uh, of diuretics and increased mortality uh, that's been seen and shown in adults with acute kidney injury. Uh, Ravi Mehta's paper in, uh, that was published in JAMA in 2002 found a two-fold increase in mortality in adults with acute kidney injury who'd also gotten diuretics. Subsequent papers have, uh, you know, have been published that refute this finding. Uh, I guess I would say I, I think it's an area that is is still debated. One of the I think important ways to answer this question of what are the potential advantages of using CRRT over diuretics was answered by uh, Hoover et al. Um, in intensive care medicine in 2008. They took uh, 26 case-matched pairs, and these were patients that had received ECMO and CVVH or case-matched to be ECMO and no CVVH. And what what they were able to find was that there was no difference in survival in the two groups. And so, you know, that's that's important to know. They found that the patients that were managed with uh, CRRT uh, and ECMO had less fluid overload than the patients that were managed with ECMO and diuretics. And very importantly also, they found that the patients that were managed with ECMO and CRRT had a quicker time to full nutrition in these patients. And so, you know, they were able to get uh, the caloric intake of these patients uh, in an average of one day versus five days in the in the patients that were using diuretics. And in many cases, uh, the patients that were on diuretic therapy were having feeds and, and nutrition withheld uh, in order to meet fluid balance uh, goals. And so we've seen multiple papers uh, come out over the last decade, you know, a, a commonly cited meta-analysis is uh, Marik's that was published in Critical Care in 2001 that showing, you know, early, nu- early enteral nutrition and meeting caloric goals was associated with lower incidence of infections and reduced hospital stay in adults. And I think you know, this concept of, of being able to uh, to feed these patients and get nutrition early on them is uh, going to be key to their uh, survival. How do you decide when a child is fluid overloaded enough to start CRRT? Do you do it by weight, by eyes and O's, by edema, by gut feeling? Sure, sure. Um, I, I, I would say there are many... Uh, there, all of those uh, methods that you have uh, have described are used by people across uh, across the country and across the world. There, uh, the traditional kind of fluid overload calculations uh, can be done and are are somewhat wieldy, uh, unwieldy to use. However, many centers just go by by patient weights. At, at our center, you know, we really try to um, to calculate uh, and 
do it as formally as possible and calculate what their fluid overload is. And generally, if we're seeing somebody who's 10% or more fluid overloaded, those are the patients that we're going to consider to to place on CRRT. So um, would you summarize for us what your study adds to the existing literature? I, I think what the what our study adds is the the fact that in the absence of uh, primary renal disease at, at presentation, chronic renal failure did not occur in our ECMO patients that were treated concurrently with CRRT. And I think that's uh, a really important point because I, I think that in some of the patients, CRRT is not being used or is being used too late uh, because of this concern that uh, that you're going to create a population of chronic renal failure patients. And the other thing that I think our study adds is that while the, there definitely is a difference in survival between those patients who receive CRRT on ECMO and those who uh, get ECMO alone, that the survival for the CRRT and ECMO uh, patients are still equal to uh, the ELSO averages uh, for the time period and and should be considered acceptable. So in other words, I think we can do this without causing harm uh, to the patient and decreased uh, mortality rates. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? I think this is an area that is that really needs to be studied more. Uh, one of the uh, one of the definite drawbacks to our study is it is a single center, and so this is uh, exactly the kind of area where uh, ELSO and uh, other organizations need to promote multi-center studies to truly answer this question. Well, thank you very much for um, talking with us today, Matt. Thank you. We have been talking today with Dr. Matthew Payden from Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia, about his article, Recovery of Renal Function and Survival After Continuous Renal Replacement Therapy During Extracorporeal Membrane Oxygenation, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in March 2001. This concludes our podcast. Look for future podcasts featuring a wide variety of information important to critical care practitioners, including interviews with authors and discussions with prominent members of the critical care community. Visit www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCriticalCare podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. If you are unable to attend one of SCCM's live courses, You can view the educational sessions on your own time and at your own pace through SCCM On Demand. Events such as SCCM's world-renowned board review courses and even Congress are available on demand. For more information or to order an on-demand course, visit www.sccm.org slash store or ask to speak with a customer service representative. Dr. Parker is director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University in Stony Brook, New York. She also is a professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University Medical Center. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.